Hey team of Eternal Optimists, it's Matt Rincon here. And before we launch into today's epic conversation, I've got a big announcement. Drum roll, please. My brand new book is coming out on March 8th. And perhaps even better news, you can get it for only 99 cents on Amazon that day. We don't run ads on the show. And if you ever want to give back and support the Eternal Optimist community, go to Amazon on March 8th and get the Kindle version for only 99 cents. Just search for the book title, The Eternal Optimist. It's never too late. And you can download it directly to your device. Now, let's get to the show. But we have to think out of the box. Years ago, the record companies were very fearful of downloadable music. They thought they'd lose all their revenues because they couldn't figure out how to monetize it. They figured it out. And the radio industry, too, is not going to be, maybe I'll figure it out, maybe I won't, but the industry will figure out what the way forward is. And then whether I'm leading that or whether I'm part of it, we hit it. is my pleasure and privilege and honor to welcome to the show today my new friend, Mr. David Moss. David, how are you today, sir? Good, Matt. How about yourself? We are absolutely spectacular because we're healthy, we're alive, first of all, so always grateful for that. And number two, it's Master's Weekend, baby. So I am doing my very best to keep the Master's app turned off so I can focus on our interview and focus on all the business I was doing today. It's been tough, though. I want to go over there and watch a little bit of the Master's, but it's just a testament to stay present in the conversation. So I'm really glad to be here. We are here for a mission today. Our mission is to inspire hope and you can do it to attitude on the Eternal Optimist podcast. And David, your story is pretty inspirational. I've already read to everyone a little bit about the bio, the background. I like to first start down the path of some challenges and share with a group of our listeners. What's a challenge? If you were to go back in time, let's just say 80s, 90s, I'm speculating here that those are when your business career was kicking off and taking off. If you could take us back in time in that period in like the first decade or two in your career, what were some of the hard points so we can dive into those? And- yeah, I don't think the hard points are any different than anybody else at 18 to 20 years old goes through, right? So I went through high school. My high school had a radio station, which brings us to where we got in touch with each other right now, 40-something, 50-something years later. But my high school had a radio station. I ended up getting my first professional job. Right out of high school in the late 70s, because yes, I am that old, unfortunately, or fortunately, one or the other. And I really was looking at pursuing a career in radio for a long time. You know, I've always been relatively professionally aggressive. And as a result of that, I was able to really put myself in a position to get a job at a decent size station right outside of Philadelphia and work there part time at first, then move to a full time position within them. I'm curious because you got into radio. Why radio? Why is that the compelling thing that drew you in? Well, it's cool. Yeah. Yeah. So I'll give you this story and then I'll give you the real story. So in high school, I was not very athletic. I liked athletics, but I just wasn't good at it. So, you know, I wasn't on the football team, wasn't on the baseball team, none of that kind of stuff. So when the school started a radio station, it was something I was able to launch onto. And I did. And it became just fun. It became really just a lot of fun. Then when I got out of school and started getting into my first professional job, I liked it. And radio back in the 80s was very different than media is today. 
And, and the difference is I could spend three hours without even a conversation, just listing them. But it was a lot of fun back in those days. Now, the real reason I got into radio in the 80s was because it was a great way to meet girls. Oh, the truth comes out. <laughs> that, that was the truth. Um, on the air, doing parties and clubs and stuff on the weekends, the social life was really pretty good. So I think that added to it. But after all the mystique of that wore off, things really changed. And so I ended up working at a decent station in the Philadelphia market, ended up working there full time for several years. And through the 80s, realized that it's not something that you can make a real career out of. Very similar to acting. The number of people that get into it that actually make a career out of it and make themselves in terms of financial perspective going forward are very few. And today you look back, you know, the cliche is there's only one Howard Stern. And there's only a few that could even reach that kind of compensation from a career growth perspective. So most people in radio end up burning out very, very quickly. They either leave it or they burn out. Or what happens is they go through an age of environment and they get into their 40s, 50s, and 60s, and they're just not relevant anymore. And they have to really scramble to try to do anything. And I'll give you an example. So, you know, I'm still friends with a number of people back from those days. I'd say half of them have moved into real estate because they couldn't find another path for themselves because, again, radio didn't pay well. So I recognized this in the 90s, and I decided to do something different with my career. Okay. Well, so before you made that shift, one of the words you said that you had developed an attitude of being professionally aggressive. What does that mean? It's a term, I guess, that's not standard, right, that I kind of thought through in terms of talking to you. So aggressiveness and ambition. Ambition in terms of being in the right place at the right time, making sure that you are in the right place at the right time and not sitting back and watching the world go by, making sure that you make things happen for yourself. But at the same time, using the word professional, whereas you're not obnoxious about it. Understood. Yeah, appreciate that. And when you said that word, I was thinking professionally aggressive. I like that. I like that because I like to think of myself as very proactive, but professionally aggressive. Yeah, that sounds nice. And without being a jerk or without being obnoxious or without being that pesky salesperson, professionally aggressive. Well, I didn't say jerk because there were times that I was a jerk. Okay. But, oh. <laughs> but <not if> not. <laughs> nice. Well, so you started the career in radio and you realized that, you know, this is something that not everyone's going to get to the Howard Stern level up there or whatever. You realize at that time, that this might not be the place forever. So you got out of it after a little bit of time. I'm curious if we can move forward a little bit here. I'd love to hear what's something that's hard right now. What's challenging for you right now in your career? You've had success in your career, in life, in business, and where you are right now today, what is something that you find to be challenging for you now? You know, it's a really good question. And other than someone else my age, which will list all the challenges that come to when you start getting into your 60s and those types of things, dismissing those challenges, I can't say I have many because I'm not in the kind of need for career growth that I did before and I'm able to do things that I want to do, which will lead us further down the line of the conversation. I think some of the challenging things are, and I don't know if this is something you'd want to get into, Matt, but I think some of the challenging things are watching the world go by, recognizing that I can't make some changes that I want to change in the world, not just with myself or my family, and becoming very disheartened as to where we are as both a nation and also a culture. Mm, yeah, I'd love to get into that. Those are my challenges. And so they're bigger than me. Challenges bigger than you. What's the thing when you say disheartened by the culture of the nation? Like, can you go a little deeper? What is that? I'll give you an example. So you know, we just had our first grandchild. Oh, congratulations. Okay, awesome. <laughs> so, very, very cool, right? Really interesting stuff. But you look at the situations that these kids are getting involved in today in terms of having to worry about going to school, 
having to worry about where careers are going. And I look at what's happening with AI, which I'm very interested in as a personal hobby, and recognizing where that's going, and looking at what are the defining situations that these kids will be in. And I also realized that our parents thought the same thing. I mean, it does become cyclical to some environment, right? But when I look at the level of severity of the worries that our parents had versus the worries that we have, or now the worries that our kids have with our grandchildren, and the level of severity is significantly greater. So those are the challenges that I have. How do we keep in our bubble in a world that is very outside our bubble and not what our inside our bubble wants to be? I think those are the personal challenges that I find today. It's not career-wise anymore. It's more about family and friends and keeping straight what we want to keep in a decent manner. Well, I don't know if I'm going to have the right answer the way that I view the world at this exact moment with parenting and help my kids navigate this terrain. But the way I might think about it would be, I can only control so much. I'm not able to control technology and AI and things that happen in the world. What I can control is how I show up and model and help the kids learn. And you've already been through this cycle because you have a grandchild and I still have kids who are seven, six, and four. So the way I think about it might be this example. Yesterday, I woke up 7.24 a.m. in the garage, getting ready to take the kids to school. I pushed the button in the garage door opener and I hear a loud clack. Something broke. My garage door won't open. It's off the track somehow. So can't take the kids to school in our car, at least. So what do you do? Well, for me, what I want to do is I want to model for them right now in this moment, the epitome of cool, calm, collected, decision maker, and let's find a way to do it. And let's use this to our advantage, which is what I would call eternal optimism. See the positive line and use this to our advantage. So I see all the external challenges and I feel disheartened by some of them as well. And the only thing I know I can control is the way I'm showing up for the kids. So I think I started with me and I assume that you've done the same, that you're pretty good here. And then from there, once we've solved that inside or worked on the inside part, how do you actually learn to accept all that stuff? Because it is disheartening. How are you coping with that? That's what I was referring to with the bubble, right? There are certain things you can control, certain things you can't control. And, you know, if you create a bubble around your world, which you really can't exclude external influences, but you can do the best you can within that bubble. And those are the challenges, I think. How do you do the best you can? within that bubble. But it will also open up something else for you that might fast forward almost to where this conversation will probably go, I'm going to guess. And that is how I got back into radio after 40 years. So, you know, I've been fortunate enough, whereas I can semi-retire and or make career choices for myself that are fun, as opposed to having to do something that I might not want to do. So last summer, for a lot of reasons that we can get into separately, I decided I'm going to try something back in radio. And having nothing to do with income or money, just having to do with, I want to get on the air again. And by the way, it's not about picking up girls now. It's (laughs) just about the fun of it. (laughs) Nice. I I want to get back into radio. So I tried and I tried and I tried to get back into commercial radio. And what I found was that age discrimination is very real, probably in multiple industries, but certainly in the media. And so it was a continued stream of rejection all over the place. And nobody's going to tell you you're too old, but there's the hint of it on a regular basis that you are. And and again, this is not a pat on the back or anything like that, but I know what I'm doing. I felt that I was at least as good as some of the people that were working at some of these stations, but the average age was in the mid twenties. And here I am a little bit older than that. 
So there was age discrimination. And that's what drove me, again, being an optimist in this, that's what drove me to investigate the market, recognizing that there's a lot of disruption going on or actual opportunity for disruption going on in the terrestrial radio market. And that's what made me decide to start up something by myself. Mm. So you're at that place, you're starting up something by yourself. You want to be a disruptor is what I think I'm hearing because you weren't able to get back in there and because of possibly age and everyone that's working there is 25. So you have this experience, you have the expertise, you have the passion and you're getting ready to disrupt something. So what is it that you're about to disrupt here? So the radio market, and I could talk about how my experience with disruption has come about because that was my business career for multiple years. But to answer your question very directly before we get into that, the radio market, the media market is in flux in a very big way. We've seen TV change significantly over the past few years. No longer do you sit down at eight o'clock at night and put on channel four and watch a TV show. That's really considered old. I think it was about seven, eight years ago, all the television stations went dark, all their analog frequencies were taken away, and they really had to rely on upgrading to a digital environment, mostly stream or go through cable outlets in order to get their signal out. So the TV market's already been, I don't know what the percentage is, but it's over 50% of the changes that the TV market has seen. And then you've got new entries into the market. You have Netflix that came into the market and Roku from a streaming perspective with the streaming sticks and those types of things. So that market has been well disrupted already and maneuvering. The newspaper market, when you think about media, people still read newspapers, but very few. And certainly under a certain age, no one reads a newspaper. So you've got the disruption that happened in that. Radio has been pretty stable over the last few years. While all these other industries have started being disrupted, radio has been relatively stable, meaning the terrestrial radio, putting on 97.5 or 101.5, whatever the case may be, right? But there are some changes coming in that market that are allowing for what we see as big changes and big disruption. So number one is more people stream music than listen to radio today. I mean, the advent of Spotify and Pandora and some of those has really changed the market of music delivery, not necessarily radio, but music delivery. And radio, for the most part, has been around music delivery. News and music delivery and talk have been the three outlets okay. that are there, right? With you on that, because I'm a Spotify guy myself. Okay, uh, me too. All the time. Yep. So the delivery of music has changed, but radio is surviving within that means for a number of reasons that we can talk about. But when you look at terrestrial radio, there's some big changes. If you go back in history, Matt, and you look at what really was the acceleration curves of radio. Radio significantly took off when manufacturers started putting radio in cars, going back in the early days. FM radio started taking off significantly when manufacturers upgraded those AM radios in cars to FM. Sirius XM really took off when manufacturers started putting XM radio in cars. And then, of course, Howard Stern didn't hurt and really gave it its boost and its acceleration. The first thing is cars are taking radios out now. Tesla was the first manufacturer to announce that they're shipping cars without AM radios. Two or three other manufacturers have already announced that. Wow. And all manufacturers now, and I can't say all, but that's to my knowledge, all manufacturers now are incorporating certainly Bluetooth, but pretty much CarPlay and Android Auto into all vehicles. So you're seeing the advent of streaming media in cars significantly increase the reach of streaming media. And then you're seeing things like AM radio being pulled out of cars. For whatever reason, Tesla would tell you because it interferes with the electronics and whatever. But for whatever reason, you're seeing these definitive changes. You're also seeing an issue in the advertising landscape, which is changing. Radio is still is one of the only unmeasurable devices in terms of advertising. So let me give you an example. 
Matt, if you have an advertiser, you can go to that advertiser and you can tell them how many people download the podcast and listen to the commercial. For the most part, TV can do the same thing now because the cable companies can measure who's watching what channel. If I've got a Roku stick or a Fire Stick, Roku or Amazon can report who's watching and who's watched Paramount Plus and who's watched this show versus that show. Radio still depends upon ratings like they were taken in the 1960s with speculation on who's listening when and where because there's no definitive environment. So advertisers are insisting on a more measured result for their advertising dollars and radio is lacking the measurability for advertisers to put the kind of money into it that they used to. So for the layperson, what I think you just said is that the streaming services, the cable company, these other places, they can tell who's listening, what channel they're on. They can tell all that. But the radio station, those particular people that run that, they're not able to tell who's listening. There's no way to measure it. Well, there's a service called Arbitron that's been around for forever in radio that I'm over-exaggerating this, but they take a guesstimate based upon making phone calls and just surveys. But it's not 100% accurate. It's not anywhere near 100% accurate. It's very speculative. So as advertising money goes towards definitive numbers, speculative numbers become less of a credibility for the advertising world. And the other thing is the jobs in the radio marketplace today are significantly being reduced. So I have eight announcers on my station. Seven of them have been laid off from commercial radio stations in the last year to two. Wow. Because what's happened is, go back in time, up to the early 2000s, the FCC only allowed one corporation to own one AM, one FM, one TV, and one newspaper in a given market. And the concept was that you couldn't have one company that would take a mass control of a large audience. You couldn't brainwash them if you owned everything. Those rules went away not too long ago. And so one company can now go into a market and buy every radio station, every television station, every newspaper if they want to. And that's happened. So the two prominent purchasers of radio stations in the U.S. are iHeartRadio and Cumulus. So if you go into New York, they own just the two of them, they own just about every major radio station in New York, and they compete against their own properties on a regular basis. And so what's happened is, and they own stations all over the place. So for example, a popular format, which you probably have in your market, is a format called Light FM. There's a Light FM in every city. iHeart and Cumulus both have Light FM formats. And it's adult pop is basically what it is. But the announcers for Light FM, you could have one announcer sitting in Miami working on 12 radio stations at the same time. So the number of layoffs that have happened in the industry are significantly great. And people are just getting laid off. And that's going to continue with the advent of AI because there's a company that just introduced a synthesized DJ. And I've played with it. You cannot tell it's not a real person. Wow. And so the continued layoffs, you're going to see not only now one person broadcasting in multiple markets and still sounding local, by the way. And there's technology that allows that to happen. But you're going to see AI really take a chunk out of this. So when you look at, when you look at the market, you say that the frequencies are up for grabs, just generally, that radios are being taken out of one of the main vehicles where, pardon the pun on that, one of the main vehicles where people want to listen to radio. And you look at the amount of jobs going on in the market, and you look at the shift towards streaming, there's time for disruption. That's what I saw. Wow. The radio industry has been continuously challenged, and it's time for disruption. I'm curious how you might aim to disrupt it. Because it sounds like everything is being challenged and it might be, do I dare say, going down or do I dare say all going to be owned by two companies? So where do you come in with a disruptive idea, David? 
I really have no idea. <laughs> and I'm being honest with you. Yes. So I opened up with a partner, a streaming media company last November. Okay. Okay. And just for accuracy's sake, so we incorporated in January for tax reasons. So we didn't have to declare it last year, but we really started playing with this in late October, early November. My gut tells me we're probably two to three years early from where the market would really catch on to some of the stuff that we're going to try to do. But we've got the staying power to stay through that and hopefully become a part of it. I think the thing is, and here's some of the things we gravitated towards, Matt, in terms of disruption. If you look at Spotify or you look at Pandora and even terrestrial radio today, forgetting about all the disruption pieces of it. If you look at radio today, what you find is it's become very genre based. Meaning if I go to Spotify and I say, I like Taylor Swift or Pandora, it's going to build me playlists that everybody sounds like Taylor Swift. Mm, yes. But I also like Blake Shelton. Well, it's not going to include the Blake Shelton songs in my Taylor Swift playlist. Same thing with radio stations. If you think about radio stations, there are country stations that play modern country, Luke Bryant, Blake Shelton, Dan and Shay. But I like also John Legend and Pink. Well, they're not going to play that. You got to go to another station for that. And I also like classic rock, which is hugely growing, even with the um, 20-year-olds today, 80s and 90s, Fleetwood Mac, Eagles, Police, things like that. If I want to listen to that, I've got to go to an oldie station or find a classic rock station. So everything has become very, very niche-based. And, you know, things go in cycles. I mean, it comes and goes, you know, niche, not niche, niche, not niche. But what we're trying to do is create content now based upon what we see the desires that are being requested in the market. So an interesting statistic that we believe we've got accurate, and that is that if you listen to the radio, the average adult will change the station three to four times per hour, and they will rotate between three basic genres. They will rotate between a light FM, which is adult pop, modern country, and also classic rock. So the first thing we thought about is, rather than changing three to four or five times an hour, could we hold on to someone for a half hour, two, or an hour? generally holding on to them longer by creating a blend that allows for multiple genres, but make it sound like it belongs together, which was not easy. And it took us about four months, five months of just nothing but playing to get what we think is right. And it's still probably not perfect, but I'd say it's probably 85 to 90% of the way there. And the feedback we've gotten, Matt, and I don't want to make this commercial for the station, but the feedback we've gotten with being able to stay on the station is really strong. And we've gotten it from a lot of different sources now, including some professional broadcasters that have come back and said, yeah, these things do sound good together. It is easy to hear Morgan Wallen and Pink on the same station if it's blended correctly and presented correctly. So that's the first thing. And we're looking at then providing other content. And remember, we're streaming only. We're looking at providing other content then that is also different than you can get. And one of the most important ones is bringing personality back to radio. Yes. And we're not trying to be Howard Stern, nothing like that. But if you listen to stations, they're really all about liners today. It doesn't matter who the announcer is. He or she is just reading a liner. And if I plugged you in at 2 o'clock versus plugging somebody else in at 2 o'clock, you'd be reading the same liner pretty much. As opposed to someone tuning in to listen to you because they want to get to know you. So we're trying to bring a little bit of personality back into it, which has been gone from radio, just generally. And the more that AI gets involved, I think the more important the personality aspects will be. And I'll give you an example of just how cyclical things could be. DVDs and records are making a resurgence. Really? Really? Okay. Okay. And it's never going to be as large as it ever was. 
But if you Google the resurgence of DVDs, Blockbuster, as an example, Blockbuster has reopened five new stores now on the West Coast. Get that. What? I don't don't hear about this on the news, but wow. Okay. Blockbuster is thinking they're going to come back. Now, I don't whether they do or not, who knows? But they've opened five new stores in the last three, four weeks. Wow. On the West Coast. And with plans to open more. So things go in cycles. So what we're trying to do is create a cycle on the internet that is streaming. The other thing is we're making sure that it is professionally based content. Meaning that if you listen to internet radio, there's basically only three or four types of internet radio you can listen to. One is the same radio station you listen to over the air, but they've taken their signal and they broadcast it. So it's the same thing that you hear at 93.7, but it's over the internet instead. It's just over now. They made it, they streamed it over now. That's number one. And that's the largest majority of streaming stations that there are, just broadcast stations streaming their app. The next one, which is relatively large, are churches broadcasting to their congregations. There's hundreds, if not thousands of churches that do that in the United States. The third is hobbyists. You and me hanging around, drinking some beer, saying, wouldn't it be cool to play DJ? And we get together with some friends and we create a radio station, because it's not hard to do today, create a radio station and we all play DJs. And we play Mozart next to Leonard Skinner. And I'm not exaggerating. That's kind of what people are doing out there. And it's fun. And all their friends listen and they have a big party with it. That's a huge majority of the stations that are streaming. There are very few streaming only stations that actually sound as good as if they had and are on the air in a professional major market. And it's one of the things we're insistent on. We will sound like we are a major market station. We are hiring major market people to do this. The ability to hire people because there's so many people that have been laid off is actually a lot easier than I thought to get really high quality people and then provide content that's not available just generally on a commercial station and then figure out how to monetize it going forward, which is really the struggle today. Yes. And what I'm hearing, I can somewhat make some of the jumps and leaps here. The challenge I'm having right now is I'm trying to understand how is it going to be different than Spotify? And what might be disruptive more so than what they have? Well, Spotify is you're creating your own playlist. You go to Spotify, you say, I like these songs, play them for me, put them in my library. I'm going to, you know, it's no different than I remember back in the 70s and 80s, we used to make playlists on cassettes, right? We'd take a whole bunch of songs, we'd record them to cassette, and we'd listen to them in our car. And we'd yeah. listen to the same playlist over and over again. The old mixtape, you know, yeah. <laughs> right? The mixtapes, remember? Oh, yeah. Eight tracks are cassettes. I was a cassette person. My first one ever but, was um, the Eternal Flame by the Bangles in the mid-80s. That was on my first smooth, cool one for the ladies. I had the, the Bangles. If you like the Bangles, Susanna Hoff, who's the lead singer of the Bangles, is doing a resurgence, and she is singing all of her old songs from her living room. You can go to YouTube and get them. It's not a commercial for her, but I loved that band. Yes. And, uh, and yeah. <laughs> okay. It was great. Thank you. That's what Spotify is. That's what Pandora is. Basically, you create your own mixtape. Think about the difference in a radio station. A radio station, you don't know what the next song is. Correct. You're going to have a DJ that's going to talk to you about interesting things, hopefully in their day, in a personality environment, where they're going to present facts to you. Are you able to listen to Spotify and hear that the Taylor Swift tickets are selling for $25,000? No. No, no. I don't hear anything radio, at all. I just hear the songs. Which, yeah. Which is crazy. Right, which a radio station can bring you information on that, or radio stations you could end up, you know, hear the last song from Blake Shelton, and they're telling you they're going to be in concert, and tickets are going to be available by Ticketron in two weeks. Make sure you get this date, right? So radio is a different way of presenting it. So it's not in a comparison. Spotify is a competitor, but the presentation methodology is different. 
Yes. Well, I go back to radio for a second. The reason I stopped listening to FM radio is there's just too many freaking advertising breaks. I mean, I want to listen to a song and every 30 minutes, I'm listening to 12 minutes of ads or more. And it just drove me nuts. That's why I left FM. And I love AM because I love the speaking and going to the specific person. But that, that's why I left the radio for that reason. And that's something that we won't do. And I talked about, we're trying to figure out how we monetize this. It's because we can't run 18 minutes of commercials an hour. And that's what some stations are running. We can't do that. It's not going to succeed. doesn't mean we're not going to run a few, but a few is very different than nine minute stop breaks twice an hour, which some stations are actually running. The monetization aspect of it becomes very, very different. And again, we're trying to figure that out. We've got some ideas that, you know, I'm probably not going to talk about in this call, but we have to think out of the box. Years ago, the record companies were very fearful of downloadable music. They thought they'd lose all their revenues because they couldn't figure out how to monetize it. They figured it out. And the radio industry, too, is not going to be, maybe I'll figure it out, maybe I won't, but the industry will figure out what the way forward is. And then whether I'm leading that or whether I'm part of it, we intend to be there. Yeah. So can you tell us what's the name of your radio station or you call it radio station, right? Yeah. You know, it's just words are funny, right? You still say words because they become nouns. You say, I want a Coke for a cola. This is true. Yeah. You know, we're filming this podcast. Well, no, we're not. You know, we're not filming anything. We're digitally recording it. Radio is becoming that kind of word. So yes, we call it a radio station, but it's not over a terrestrial airwave. It's streaming only. The first station is cool.fm, and that's K-E-W-L.fm. And it's a blend of modern pop, modern country, and recognizable classics. Three of the four that I listen to, you're hitting on them right now. What's the fourth? Well, some version of techno or electronic music when I want to work out or get some exercise, something active. Well, we do that on Saturday nights. We have, a, we have a show on Saturday nights called The Dance Party, and we'll do that then. But you could listen at this point. <laughs> okay, well, I'm interested right now because you've hit three of my four genres. So I'm interested. What do I do from here? Go to the website and listen that way. You can download the app in the App Store which is cool.fm, or you can download an app by the name of Live365, and that's L-I-V-E 365. Think about that as a directory of a lot of online radio stations, and then just do a search for cool.fm and play it there. Awesome. Okay. And that allows us, by the way, to integrate with Alexa and Sonus and Google Home and all the things that you'd want to integrate with. So does it feel or look like what I might be used to if I download the app and I get to pick? If I'm hearing these different genres of songs, I approve. I like these three genres. Do I get to hit a like button or a love button? Or, or does it have any feel for what I'm used to? Because I'm used to Spotify by now. I've been on Spotify for a couple of years. I'm removed from everything else. Is it going to be a smooth transition to I can like and love stuff? Or just what's different in the user experience for me, I guess? No, it's like a radio station where you're listening to, I don't want to sound smug with this, but where we have decided that we're going to broadcast. Now we're taking a lot of listener feedback. We are going to be doing some things in the future that will kind of like allow you to say like so that we get feedback quicker. But what I will say about that is we're going to tie artificial intelligence experience into the radio listening experience. We're toying with a whole bunch of different things as it relates to that. And that will give us a lot of data as to what people really like. It will give you the ability to communicate what you really like, but it'll also allow for a lot of information exchange in terms of what you like at the moment you like it. And again, that's as much as I can really say about it at this point, but we're playing with a lot of different ideas and concepts with that. 
Man, I just want to jump into your brain and hear all of the confidential, secret, disrupting things that I know it's not easy or you can't talk about in front of everyone now. I just want to go in there and tinker around. <laughs> so thank you for giving us the tease. So we've got cool.fm is the place we can go. Is there any other place we can go to find out more about you or find out more about the radio? Just how do we get fully engaged with this, David, if there's any other way? So I have my LinkedIn site. I have two LinkedIn sites. One from my professional business, because I still do consulting to early stage growth companies. We haven't talked about that, right? I still do a lot of consulting and that's a company by the name of Thasis, T-H-A-S-I-S.com. I work with early stage or startup companies. Any of your audience, if you've ever watched Shark Tank, exclude the stuff that's made for TV and the drama that they try to present. The representation of what entrepreneurs really try to think to do versus what really becomes investable has a big gap in it. And I helped them close that gap. How do you get ready to get an investment? What do you need to get an investment? What does your investment look like? Because there are different ways to get investments. And then how do you solicit that in a general sense? And how do you prepare yourself for that investment community? And then a lot of companies also have great ideas, but they don't know how to bring it to market. I help them understand what the market dynamics are, how you operationalize the company and how you bring it to market. So that's what my consulting company, which is going on five years old now, nice. does. And before you started Thesis.com and the consulting company, what experience did you bring to the table that you felt comfortable and confident that you could use to teach people how to do this? We haven't talked about your business career a whole lot. I read a bio, but I'd now, love to get a little bit of the goods. Now, good, good question. So when I decided I'm going to leave radio full-time, which was in the early 90s, I ended up taking a sales position in a technology company. And I did very, very well. And by the way, I stayed in radio to the early 2000s. And I'll stop that story in a moment. But the story as to why I completely left is really interesting. So I went down to just weekends on the air just because I loved it. I was married. I had kids. But I just loved it so much. I wanted to spend Saturday and Sunday afternoons on the radio. And I did. And it worked for a Philadelphia station for multiple years. So I'm on the air about 2003, 2004, something like that. My son comes over to me and tells me that he really wants me to coach Little League, which takes me on Saturday afternoons and Sunday afternoons, completely out of anything else I wanted to do. And my kids went over, but it wasn't even a question. So I left radio in 2004, and I successfully coached Little League with a couple of other guys for eight years and had a really good time. We did Cooperstown, and we did all that stuff. So it was a lot of fun. But anyway, along with that, so I got a sales position, stayed in radio for the weekends, you know, up till when I told you. And I ended up making my way up through senior management in a technology organization, technology company. From there, I ended up in a business development role for multiple companies. And these are large companies. I work for Avaya. I work for Siemens. I work for Cisco. As a matter of fact, the company I worked for, Tamberg, was acquired by Cisco for $3.5 billion. That's even how I got to Cisco. But I did a lot of business development work. And a lot of that BD work was M&A on how to acquire companies and merge them into our large company. But I actually spent more time in developing and starting divisions within large companies. All right, and I can give you an example. I worked for Siemens Communications. We were looking at bringing video conferencing to the fold, and this is well before the days of Zoom. We were looking at bringing video conferencing to the fold, and I was in charge of that project, and I had to really orchestrate whether it's going to be a build or buy decision. Am I going to go buy someone? I do the due diligence for that. Am I going to build it from scratch? And then if I decide to build it from scratch, even though I'm working for a $30 billion company, I still have to go out and raise the money. I can still raise the money internally, or I can raise the money externally, even in large companies. So over the course of a career, I learned how to do this. But I learned how to do it for very large companies. 
And I was relatively successful in that. Then about nine years ago, I had an opportunity to do something I'd never done before. And that was go to my own startup, start something from scratch with three other guys. One had a really good idea. One brought me into it. And then myself, two other guys, three of us in total. It was in a technology that I knew nothing about. It was a medical device technology. It was a technology company producing a medical device, an imaging product. I decided to do it and I took a chance and I decided to do it. I went down to earning nothing as a typical entrepreneur for a couple of years. But you know what? There's my professional aggressiveness again. You learn by doing. You just go out. When there's no one else to teach you, you figure it out by yourself. And I'm sure, Matt, when you started your podcast, you just do and you just figure you it do out. do and figure. You know, because you have That's to. right. Right? Yeah. So I figured it out. We raised quite a lot of money. We raised millions of dollars. We cut some very good strategic partnerships with organizations like the Mayo Clinic and so on and so forth. We operationalized it very, very well and very successfully. And for personal reasons that I won't get into here, about five years into it, I decided to leave and I exited the company and I exited relatively well. When I exited the company, I had now five years experience of starting a company, raising money, understanding of the private funding and the angel communities and all that. So I leveraged that and that's when I opened Thesis. Wow. And that takes us to Thesis has been in business, if I recall, I think you said five, five years? A little over four, I believe. Four, yeah, a little bit over four years now with Thesis. This past January was four. Okay, so it's something that you're passionate about, you're an expert in, and the radio is something you're passionate about. It's just, you're back to it. I wonder, because you're good at both, well, it remains to be seen. We're expecting you're going to be good at the radio, the new place you're taking it, because you have the history. Talk to me in five years, and I'll let you know whether I'm good at it or not. We'll know. We'll know in five years, yes. You don't have to work just to work and pay the bills. You do it because you're passionate about it. Well, I do it for a couple of reasons. I do it because I'm passionate about it. I think I hear the question that you're going to ask is, how did the two meet in the middle? That's the how question. How do I go from one back to the radio? Yeah, let's do that. So I'm passionate about it, but I also want to still further secure the financing of my kids and my grandkids. So I'm not done, is the bottom line. I can be, but I'm not. So last July or August, I get a text from a guy I know in radio that says he's being wooed by an internet radio station. He knows nothing about it. And he wants to know if I know about it. And from a business perspective, not from a radio perspective, he ended up taking this job and he's doing an air shift at this internet station. The owner of the station is not a business guy by any stretch of the imagination. Needs to raise money, doesn't know how to raise money, doesn't know how to really operationalize it as a company. He knows how to put people in the air, but not operationalize it as a business. You've got to look at everything as a business, not as what it is. And so would I come up and meet with them? So like I do with any customer that I take, I did a tremendous amount of research because this was a deal with Thesis. It had nothing to do with me opening up a radio station. But I had a big interest because I was brought in by somebody I know for 40 years, number one, that I worked with in radio back in the 80s. Number two is, this is cool. I can get to radio again and play with radio and still run my consulting business because I'll consult to them. It was really cool. And I remember talking to my wife about it. It was like, how cool is this? I did a lot of research before I take any kind of customer and deal. So I did a lot of research. I went up and went with them. And for reasons not to be discussed, I did not take the opportunity with them. I actually walked away from it relatively quickly in September. But then I sat back and said, you know, I've learned all this stuff. I really miss radio. Even though I've been on the air for 20 years, I really miss radio. Coincidentally, I had been trying to get on the air that summer at local radio stations just again as a hobby. So these two things were happening in parallel. And so when I was being turned down by every radio station down here, 
in Southern Florida, everyone, not just some of them, all of them. When I was being turned down by that, all of a sudden this opportunity presents itself. I'm like, well, this is cool. And that's how the station name came about, by the way. This is cool. So I walked away from anything to do with that deal, but sat back and said, you know what? I could do this myself and I can do it better. And I did. Wow. And that's how, that's how they came together. And I'm still running faces, by the way. I still have customers, none in the media, none in radio, but that's how the two of them ended up coming together and meeting. I felt the professional aggression there for a moment. I love it. Yeah, fantastic. Well, I'm curious, Dave, when we talk about the Eternal Optimist podcast and spreading hope and you can do it to attitude, you've given us plenty of opportunities here to see hope and you can do it because you've overcome. And I wonder when you hear the words eternal optimism, what does that mean to you, eternal optimism? I don't know that it means anything to me the way you'd want that answered, Matt, to be honest. But I think that if you're not optimistic, you don't find your way out of resolving problems and you're not happy. I know a lot of people that are just overall pessimistic and these are just not happy people. They're nice people, but they're just not happy. They go to bed, they're miserable every night. They don't like the stuff that's around them. Find pleasure in the things that are around you and be optimistic that you can either find the pleasure out of them or be smart enough to know that you need to take certain moves and go out and change them and then be optimistic that the change will be a positive one. Mm. Thank you. We've been talking the radio so much. I wonder, I'm curious about, is there a favorite song or a favorite musician that you tend to favor? Oh, God, there's a lot of them. I'm all over the place with that, to be honest. I like classical music. I like, my new favorite is modern country. And I'll tell you a funny story about that. When I got out of high school, the first radio station I ever worked at, professional, was a little tiny radio station in northern New Jersey called WCRV. It was in Washington, New Jersey. And it was so small that it had to go off the air when the sun went down. It was called an AM daytimer, and it was only allowed on the air during the day when the sun was up. And some of these still exist, by the way, but not as many as you used to. And it was a country station. And back in the late 70s, country was Conway Twitty, Dave Dudley, Loretta Lynn. Down the road was their FM. This was the AM side. Down the road was their FM station. The FM station was playing rock. So it was playing Leonard Skinner and Led Zeppelin and everything 70s rock. I'm working at the country station. I'm on the phone with my friend who's working at the rock station. And I'm completely miserable. I hate country. I hate <laughs> yeah. every minute of it. I'm hearing on the phone that he's playing Led Zeppelin and I'm playing Conway Twitty. This is just not working for me. But that existed for about two years. But nonetheless, now my favorite genre is country. So there. Wow. Well, okay. So a little future projection here. When you are inducted, are you in any kind of radio hall of fame right now? Oh God, no. <laughs> when you are inducted into a some radio hall of fame in the next year or 10 or whatever it is, I'm curious if you had to pick one song to be introduced to, like your coming out song, your celebration song, what might that be? There's a couple of songs that I really like that are favorites of mine. One of them, not so mainstream. Actually, they're both not so mainstream. One is The Sounds of Silence, not the Simon and Garfunkel version, the version by David Drebin and Disturbed. I don't know if you've heard it. Again, it's not me. I'm going to go Google it right away and put it on Spotify if I can find it. Yeah. It is an amazing, it's one of the best vocals of any song you've ever heard. The other song, which is, you know, you're the Optimist podcast. I'm not so sure this song fits, but it is Mad World by Gary Jules. Awesome. You may know Mad World because Adam Lambert redid it on American Idol not too long ago. And it was originally done by Tears for Fears. But Gary Jules' version is very, very strong. And then probably the best authored song I'll give you is very cliched, but in my mind, it's Imagine by John Lennon. Mm, got it. 
God, I can tell you've been in the radio because your level of, I would say, radio sophistication, you're not being snobby about it. And I can tell that you're a radio guy or you are someone that knows your music. You know it that precisely. Like, I would be embarrassed when you say to me, it was probably on American Idol or on the music show, or the singing show. That would not be where I would be listening because I'm listening to episode one when everyone that sucks is singing. That's the one I get behind. No one will play Name That Tune against me for 70s, 80s, and 90s music. When we get into the 2000s, I'm not as good. But 70s, 80s, and 90s, I can pick up right away. So Okay. Well, I'm the same way with movies in that time. So we can form a, a pretty awesome team doing that. I'm curious, David. You've shared your song. You've shared a thought on eternal optimism. I'm curious around, is there a book or something that you're learning from or that you would recommend to our audience? Big sci-fi fan. Oh, Okay. I read science fiction almost all of my life. The best sci-fi book I've ever read, there are two of them. And I've read them over and over again. As a matter of fact, I just finished reading the first one I'm going to tell you about again about two months ago. It's a book by Larry Niven called The Moat in God's Eye. The Moat in God's Eye. And this is, this okay. is hard sci-fi. This is not Star Wars. It's hard sci-fi with science principles and so on and so forth. The other one is a more commonly known book, Childhood's End by Arthur C. Clarke. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, good, good. Very unique, this discussion today. I love that it went very, I'd say, very specific or particular to something you're really passionate about, because I can feel the expertise and the passion in your voice when you're talking about it. And I love to have a guest on that can talk so deeply about something that they care about. So thank you for gracing us with this today. Oh, I appreciate that. And I could talk for another couple hours about both these subjects. So. Well, I guess before we wrap up, I'd ask this then. What's the radio story that you didn't tell today it might be a little bit controversial, funny, that you might be able to share with us as we part. Here's my best radio moment. One of the only times in my life I got fired was from the radio station that I was killing to work for. Ooh. Here's my professional aggressiveness. I'm working in radio, and I'm working at a number of stations, and I'm a senior in college at this time. And I went to Trenton State College, which is now the State College of New Jersey. And I'm working at a decent size station up near New York called WDHA. And it's a well-known, well-respected medium market station. Not major market, but medium. Decent. And I really want to work at the station outside of Philadelphia by the name of WPST. And I sent them audition tape after audition tape after audition tape. Turned down a thousand times. So what I decide to do, and here's again this aggressiveness. I go to my guidance counselor and I get them to give me an internship at PST. Wow. Even though I've been in professional radio four years I get them and I talk them into giving me an internship at WPST. So I'm sitting in the program director's office one day. It's about two or three months into it. And I still want to work here. And he's still not telling me that I can on the air. So I'm sitting in his office one day on a Friday afternoon. And it's like three, four o'clock. And the overnight guy, the guy that's on midnight to six, and there was no automation back then. So you had to have people. The guy that was on midnight to six that Friday night calls up and quits right when I'm in the program director's office. And he just looks at me. And says, what are you doing tonight? Do you want to do it? And I was like, duh, yes. And he was honest with me. He goes, look, I'm stuck and I'm being honest with you. I'm really stuck. I don't have a choice. So I'm going to let you do it. And if you do it, we'll give you a job. I worked there for five years and then got fired. Oh, <laughs> man. I worked there part-time and then I worked there full-time as well after that. Then I went back to part-time because this was the station I was working at when I decided I'm going to pursue a business career and not stay. I'm on the air on a Saturday morning. Five years there, never been reprimanded over anything, nothing. In the 80s, 
there was a Wendy's commercial. You know, Wendy's, the fast food restaurant. Oh, yeah. Hell, yeah. There was an 80s commercial with this old woman called Clara that would look at the hamburger and say, where's the beef? Oh, yes, of course. <laughs> where's where? the beef? Yeah. There was no such thing as going viral back then, but as best as it could, that commercial went viral. Everybody knew about it. So it's about 8.30, quarter of nine, a McDonald's commercial is playing at PST, and I'm there. I'm playing the commercial. After a radio commercial, there's something that can happen called a tag. And in that case, and I remember the words exactly. The tag used to be on this commercial was visit the McDonald's restaurant on Raven Avenue in Flemington, New Jersey. And that's it. You localize the agency commercial. At the end of the commercial, I got on the air and I said, where's the beef? Well, you could find the beef at the Rayville Avenue in Flemington, New Jersey. Oh, I thought it was cute. That does sound pretty that, cute, that was yeah. That was, that was completely it. Well, the advertising agency, and by the way, this was radio back in the 80s. The advertising agency heard it, called up and complained to the station. The station manager felt that if he didn't take action against me, that they would pull their advertising, and they fired me. Five years. Oh, man. Five years. <sighs> you could find the beef at the McDonald's restaurant. So that's my funniest radio story. <laughs> you can find the beef. Where's the beef for Wendy's? Did that originate from a slight against McDonald's because their burgers are so tiny? Where's the beef? I don't know. Look, there have been some great advertising campaigns over the years. Where's the beef was an amazing advertising campaign. And the woman they hired was just amazing. Awesome. Well, David, thank you for going deep with us today and sharing your expertise and sharing knowledge and sharing where you might be taking us. And I love every time that you had for things I cannot talk about on this call. I appreciate that because there's some big stuff coming. So thank you for planting the seed so. today. So. Amanda, watch. <laughs> you know, Matt, it's like any startup. There's either some big things coming or I'll be hanging out at the pool and not worrying about, <laughs> not worrying about it. I don't know. Well, we'll see. Well, we wish you the best. And thanks for your time today. And thank you, Matt. Thanks so much for being here today, David. <laughs> <laughs>